Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Welcome to another episode of Industry Night on the Real Fun DC, the second episode of 2022. So look, it's been a strange couple of weeks. Omicron is spreading like the highly transmissible virus that it is. Uh, restaurants are short-staffed. Market shelves are not well-stocked, but your farmer's market is. Um, honestly, though, can't we all use a drink given what's happening? Um, I could. Uh, but what about my guest today? And spoiler alert, there is a bit of nepotism coming your way. Sam Nellis, one of my five kids, uh, and beverage director for All Purpose Pizza and Red Hen, uh, is getting into that dry January bandwagon. Yes, it is dry January. It's a thing. And actually, there's a lot of talk out there in the foodiverse about being sober or sober curious, which... You lose me on that one, but I digress. Um, but we're gonna go down that rabbit hole with Sam Nellis today. So hello, my darling, how are you? I'm good, nice to, to be here. Thank you for having me. I love being able to do this with you. So, I mean, I know about your hospitality career because I was there for it, but how, like, what was the interest in restaurants for you? How did you get interested? Well, I think that a big, initial way that I got interested in restaurants was I grew up going to a lot of them mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. um, it is an incredible privilege to be able to say that when I was 16 years old, my favorite restaurant was Comey. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is, is the earliest uh, peaking of my restaurant um, uh, interest. And when I moved back to DC from Chicago, where, where I lived for three years, uh, I did not have a career. I had sort of flamed out as quickly as you possibly can on wanting to be a professional actor and I'm fine just being an amateur. And um, when I came back to DC, I had always been interested in, in restaurants and called up some people that I knew through you uh, and you know, landed at uh, Birch and Barley Church Key, uh, neighborhood restaurant group. Uh, with Greg Angert, um, who is a phenomenal educator on uh, beverage, specifically, you know, beer, but the philosophy that you, comes with constantly, hungrily, uh, voraciously uh, attacking knowledge about beer can apply to any aspect of any interest. Mine, after working in beer for a couple of years, I realized that my real interest in, was in spirits and cocktails. So I made that transition, um, moved over to the Red Hen where I've been with that group now for six or seven years. Mm. Um, Which let's and, be honest, when uh, you went to the Red Hen uh, and then they launched All Purpose, I mean, Sebastian Soutan was the beverage guy mm. uh, as a part of that. And, you know, he's very well known for cocktails. So you had so there are some big shoes there when it comes to cocktails, wines, beers, things of that nature, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Sebastian handed off the reins on cocktails pretty immediately uh, when I started, um, which was very nice of him. He did not have to do that. Right. Um, but he, you know, was really, really focused on wine. He opened Primrose not too long after that. 
Mm-hmm. He had just started bottling. Uh, I think it was like their second year of bottling. I could be wrong rose. about that. But I think yeah, was- but he was bottling a rosé. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, so, you know, getting to take over that, there were a lot of people working there that um, had been working. In, you know, there were brand ambassadors that were working behind the bar at the Red Hen. So it was a real opportunity for me to learn from a lot of people while also being responsible uh, creatively and monetarily for the program. Well, so let's kind of talk about that. I mean, for people who love cocktails, they may know more about what's involved with making a great cocktail, putting a great cocktail list together. Um, But how do you go about putting together a a well-rounded cocktail list for each of the properties because they have different offerings and and different and different audiences. How do you go about doing that? And and since you update that menu pretty regularly, what's mm-hmm. the R and D on doing that? You know, because you're not just throwing some spirits together and hoping it works. Sure. Um, so the lists at all of the restaurants are super small and super focused. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think all-purpose Capital Riverfront probably has the like most like number of cocktails on the menu. It's their, our largest physical property. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, it's our largest physical property. It probably has the largest list. And I think it's only like 10 cocktails. Okay. Um, and so, you know, take for example, the Red Hen, there are five cocktails plus always a spritz on the menu. Mm. Um, when I... <laughs> The very first list I was putting out, I was sort of just scattershot replacing things. And it got, you know, the GM at the time, uh, Rachel Haas, turned to me one day and she's like, you know that you have three bourbon cocktails and two gin cocktails on the menu, right? And I kind of looked at it and went, oh, I I guess I did do that. I wasn't okay. really paying attention. So I I started to really approach the, the list. Um, so we changed the menu there quarterly now. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much the moment a cocktail list goes out, I start researching for the next cocktail list. And we want to offer not just a range of spirits, but do those spirits, you know, like you can't offer five, you know, martini Manhattan spirit driven cocktails. There has to be ones on there that are showing with juice, showing with carbonation, Right. So really offering a lot of different things to a lot of different people while also only having five options. Well, and um, can we just can I just jump in here, though, yeah. because what I think it's very important for people to understand is while you are offering these specialty five cocktails, mm-hmm. they can go in and order whatever cocktail they want. Yeah, I mean, it's a full bar. So you've got in in most uh, in most categories, at least three or four options. Um, it's not a huge back bar, but you know, there's three or four gins, four or five bourbons, a couple mm-hmm. of rye. like there's a little bit of something for everything and enough liqueurs and vermouths and all those sort of things to make you what you want. Or if okay. I don't have exactly what you want, something in that family. Well, and so I guess that's a very important component, especially when we start talking about dry January or mm-hmm. um, uh, drinking non-alcoholic drinks. Um, understanding the complexity of the cocktail, mm-hmm. creating a balanced cocktail. So if somebody says, I want a dry martini, 
what that means. Or if somebody says, I want, uh, you know, a cosmopolitan or whatever yeah. the cocktail is, um, or the, what's that hot one right now? The espresso martini. The espresso martini. Yeah. Right. So what, knowing the, how to make them, how, when you're hiring for behind the bar, mm-hmm. you need to be educated on all the drinks, right? Experience is really, really important. Um, but also really just general curiosity um, mm-hmm. is, is probably the most important aspect of it because there's lots of times that I don't remember a recipe off the top of my head. Um, or Jeffrey Morgenthaler is a very famous bartender and he carries with him a little, um, uh, it's essentially like a little address book because it's got, you know, A, B, C, D, right? Like you know, mm-hmm. like an old Rolodex and he carries that with him and he just, he writes his recipes down in that. So when somebody orders a Mai Tai, he doesn't have to remember the exact specifications of a Mai Tai. He might know it off the top of his head, but if he's having one of those moments where he just is like, I literally can't remember. He just turns to M and goes to Mai Tai. Right. Um, so, so more curiosity and a general understanding of how the various components fit together. How do you balance juice and sugar and spirit in say a daiquiri or any of the number of drinks that follow the same basic structure as a daiquiri, like a gimlet? So if you have basic structures in your head, that is largely the way that we approach creating drinks. Well, so that's a really good point. So like daiquiri and gimlet, they're Mm -hmm. in the same structure. Why is it that they're in the same structure? What is it about the components? Well, because realistically, you can't, I mean, the basic history of the gimlet is that it was made with lime cordial, but most people don't keep a house-made lime cordial around and everyone's very snooty about roses because they should be. Um, so it used so to when, be considered the best thing to have. <laughs> it did. It did used to be. It but also used to be made with real stuff in it uh, way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you can make a very close approximation of a gimlet by making a daiquiri and subbing out the rum for uh, uh, gin. So they both general, and you're talking, these are huge generalizations. Sure. So if we were talking about specific spirits and exactly how much um, uh, ABV they are, you know, what their proof is and what, you know, they use this grain, so we should do this, right? Like there's lots of nuances you can get into it and everyone's got their perfect recipe for a perfect specific spirit, but generally, you're mm-hmm. going to get a very good drink if you put in two ounces of gin or rum, three and a qu- three quarter ounce of lime juice and three quarter ounce of simple syrup. If you shake that, it's put good. it in a glass, you're going to be like, hey, really this good. is exactly what I was looking for. Right. So, I, and I guess when we sort of take that information, knowing the structures, and yeah. then we walk into people who are, looking to still enjoy a cocktail experience, but without the Mm -hmm. alcohol, you're employing the same? Not exactly the same, but in a lot of cases, similar. Um, A lot of the non-alcoholic spirits, um, because they're not using um, alcohol to, to, you know, they're not doing infusions into alcohol and then distilling that, right? So mm-hmm. they're a lot of times doing decoctions in water and then distilling that to intensify flavor. Um, that 
that adds water to your drink, right? So, right. so you can't use it in quite exactly the same way. You have to approach it understanding what your base material is. But if you have a bottle of that at home, uh, you know, let's say you've gone to the store and bought Seedlip Spice 94. Yeah, you can put that into a, a daiquiri in the exact same daiquiri spec and you'll get a pretty good drink. You'll really enjoy it. What is that? What is that? So Seedlip is probably the most uh, mainstream non-alcoholic spirit on the market. They were very, very early to the game. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they've got pretty huge market share. Okay. Um, but there's lots and lots of different what is brands. What exactly? They, they, it's a distilled. It's, is it it's distilled? a it's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit. So I don't know their exact process. Sure. But basically, they flavor water, and then distill it to intensify the flavor using a um, most likely using a vacuum still. Um, mm -hmm. So this is a really interesting piece of equipment that is you know, only possible in the modern era, but basically they suck all the air out of a chamber, uh, which lowers the boiling point because boiling points are really uh, dependent on barometric, this is the science of it, the right. barometric pressure um, really defines where things boil mm -hmm. um, or where they release the gas that is um, uh, dissolved into the liquid. Um, and so you can do, you can boil things at really, really low temperatures, but also really, really control, uh, what is boiling off at what temperature in a way that you really can't with traditional still technology. Interesting. Okay. So um, that is used in place of the liquor. Right. The spirit. Because no matter what, right. You're always trying to get flavor out of, you know, basically out of a solid, right. Right. You've got. An orange peel and the orange peel has oils and it's got Essence. you know all these flavors but it's in the orange peel how do you get it into the liquid that you then want to put on your shelf in a shelf stable way you can you know macerate it into alcohol uh most gins have citrus peels in them um or you can also macerate it into a different liquid like water and distill that to intensify the flavor. Well, so that sort of brings us to why we booked this segment today. Um, it is dry January, but sort of pre-pandemic, low ABV cocktails mm -hmm. were, were, were really becoming to be a thing. Yeah, and absolutely. There was a lot of talk about uh, non-alcoholic drinks, uh, low alcohol drinks, all of that was sort of happening and then the pandemic hit. What do you think that was? I mean, I'm just sort of curious, like why, I mean, for people who drink or for people who don't drink, but assume if you drink, you want a cocktail that offers some impact along with flavor. Yeah. Like, what's the point? Well, um, let me ask you this question. When you are at an event having a glass of wine, mm -hmm. Is the whole experience of having the glass of wine about the intoxication or is it standing in a group talking about the wine, enjoying the wine, the flavor, and then the intoxication is a byproduct that you also enjoy? It's a byproduct. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes let's say you have to drive. I went to Oyster Oyster and mm -hmm. had a lovely meal. I wanted to have a glass of wine with it and 
they have a non-alcoholic wine on the menu. So I went, oh, I'll have that because I still have to drive. Right. And then I was like, hey, this was great. I'm going to have three of these. So I had three glasses of wine. I had the full experience of why I wanted to have the wine with my meal. Mm-hmm. But at the end, I drove home. No right. problem. Right. So, you know, there, there's so much about drinking that has very little to do with the intoxication. I like the intoxication, but at the end of the day, I am, you know, intoxicated. And so. And you may not remember what you drank. (laughs) And sometimes I just can't be right. I've just got work in the morning or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, for a long time, every category was moving towards more sessionable, lower ABV drinking. Uh, Vino Verdes were coming into style. Uh, Session IPAs were coming into style. Aperol Spritz was way, way, way in style. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the pandemic hit. And I think that everybody for like three months was like, well, it's the end of the world. Might as well be intoxicated as possible. And, I mean, and so I'm going to have a drink. Right. So many people were getting into cocktails. They were buying all the tools. Uh, my best friend, Alex, bought all the tools. He bought everything. And he was calling me on every night and being like, how do I make this? Why do I do that? What books should I read? Um, I think that a year and change of doing pretty heavy drinking Mm-hmm. led some people back to remembering that they wanted a more sessionable experience, which was that they wanted to be able to like drink all day. Right. So low ABV came back. And there were some people that were like, you know what? I actually really enjoy just hanging out and drinking, but I don't want to be drunk at all. What if there were non-alcoholic options? Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that dry January hits every single year for people is that they spend all of late December having to spend time with their families and going to, you know, office parties and all different things. And they go, oh, I was drunk for like two weeks. I'd better take a break. Right. It's also important to remember that for some people, it's not just dry January. It's also dry February. It's also dry March. Some people never drink. Some, Um, listen, my sister does not drink. Yeah. But my sister is also not ordering a mocktail. I mean, oh, gets me started on that. So uh, I want to talk about the program that you've launched, which has uh, non-alcoholic beverages. But, uh, you know, years ago, when I first started in this industry, there was a a launch of non-alcoholic beverages. And it was really the very beginning of it. In fact, uh, Gina Cervani came Mm -hmm. on uh, Foodie and the Beast. Uh, It was still called Dishing Out. It was the first year that we started. And um, she was making mocktails. Yeah. She was also making low calorie drinks, which totally blew my mind too. I didn't know how many calories were in cocktails. Shocking. Um, but, um, a shocking amount. It's a shocking amount. Uh, Cause at first I will be honest with you when she was like, yeah, I'm making low calorie cocktails. I was like, I mean, really? Is it that big of a difference? And then she was like, oh yeah. I mean, we're talking like I'm making 300 calorie cocktails and that cocktail normally has a thousand calories. I was like, right. Oh, Oh my God. Uh, but so they were calling them mocktails and now a mocktail is, uh, an inappropriate name. Do you want to tell me why? Cause I'm like, really? 
it's it's not inappropriate in the sense that it's um offensive mm -hmm. um but it is a little bit uh condescending um which is the idea or it, it sort of feels a little bit condescending which is like oh you're not having a real cocktail we're going to give you a mocktail we're going to give you something that's you know mocking it, right like and i get that it, you know it's like a mock turtleneck no one's offended by it being called a mock turtleneck right but but the idea now and and the reason it, it's sort of a philosophical shift okay. which is that we're not trying to make um bad versions of real cocktails <laughs> or just taking all the juice we have behind the bar and topping it with ginger beer because everybody likes ginger beer right Mm -hmm. The idea now is to offer the same amount of thoughtfulness that you offer to any other cocktail, but just do it without alcohol. So we don't call them mocktails anymore. We call them zero proof cocktails because it's just about I'm making a cocktail. It just doesn't happen to have oh. booze in it. Okay. Well, so when I think of the original, uh, not mocktails, but they kind of were mocktails. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, fruit. if you want to use the word as shorthand, I, no one's got a problem with it. It's just not what we put on the menu anymore because for us, it's about pointing ourselves in a philosophical direction. Totally. Get I, I don't think anybody's like, they called it a mocktail. <laughs> yeah. So, but zero proof. I mean, I think of like a Shirley Temple as the original zero proof or a Rob Roy. Right? Yeah. Have you ever had right? a, a Shirley Temple? Oh, Roy Rogers. Roy Rogers. Weren't they the original zero proofs? Sure. Well, so we're soft drinks in general. Right. So, okay. So before we get into your menu, yeah. are low ABV or non-alcoholic drinks just that? Are they just sodas and juices? Um, realistically, sh sure, but I don't have a problem with that. Okay. I mean, you know, a, a soda right is is actually like a, a, an incredible thing mm -hmm. um they're widely available and inc incredibly pedestrian but they take these really complex flavors they make a concentrated syrup out of them and then they put that into soda water in very specific amounts and all of a sudden you've got this really really accessible fun drink i don't think that there's anything wrong with that and then if you put rum in one of them Oh my God, a rum and coke. Have you ever had that? It's delicious, right? Like, so, so I mean, it's a, you know. it's a very good point. Maybe we are all jaded because soda is generic and so widely available, whether yeah. it's the big brand names or not. But mm -hmm. I, you know, maybe that's a really valid point that we just you, think of them as simple. You could, if you wanted to, take the syrup that that you know that flavored syrup and you could ferment that and you could distill that and then you'd have a spirit and mm -hmm. like there are lots of meaningfully different you know meaningful differences between you know the spirit you got obviously alcohol being one part of it and flavor there's meaningful differences but at mm -hmm. the end of the day all spirits start off as sugar water flavored right. sugar water right like so there's nothing that is, you know, so much more sophisticated about it other than the fact that we call it sophisticated. Right. That's it. It's a social construct like anything else. No, I mean, that completely makes sense when you uh, put it together that way. I never think of it that way. So as you decided to um, enlarge the menu at mm -hmm. 
the different properties. How did you go about creating uh, zero proof cocktails? Well, one, I tried a product from uh, an Australian company called Lear's. Um, they can a- I have one right here. Right there. I have one. <laughs> they can a product called their Amalfi Spritz that mm -hmm. is like so good. Tastes yeah. like, you know, not specifically an Aperol Spritz, but any of the Italian spritzes. That's the same basic flavor profile. Okay, so wait, um, I know you're big on spritzes. So why don't we tell people what's in a classic Aperol spritz? Classic Aperol spritz is Aperol, which is a, a, an Italian bittersweet um, aperitivo, which means that it's intended to be drunk before your meal. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's Aperol, uh, soda water, and uh, Prosecco. Okay. Um, and so it's got big notes of uh citrus and some sweetness uh with a little bit tiny little bit of of underlying bitterness um That's a low, it is a, already a low abv cocktail. it is already a low abv cocktail mm -hmm. but realistically you're talking about low abv as compared to other cocktails right right so so it is still you know in the probably nine percent ten. i mean i could do the math on it but probably nine percent ten percent range well, um, so, I mean, I don't want to go down a, a, just do a bunch of math, but right. so maybe so people have an understanding when we say mm -hmm. low ABV or, you know, what is considered normal or what are the numbers? Like, what's there, the, there's no, there, how much alcohol hard, is in a martini? Like, what's the is proof? A lot. Right? Because you're there's drinking a lot of alcohol in a martini. You're basically drinking a spirit. Mixed with a fortified vodka. wine. Right. Yeah. Right. And then right. some water because you, you iced it, right? Like right. you put it on ice and stir it. Right. So there's some right. water in there too. Right. Um, but it's, it's, you know, spiritous. Um, I, my general rule of thumb is that if it's falling below, you know, 9%, I mean, really, realistically, I don't do the math on all of them. Uh, realistically, what I do is I think about the base uh, spirits and where they fall. So um, Aperol is like, I think 11%, I think it's 22 proof. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's only 11% alcohol to begin with. Your Prosecco is probably going to fall in the 10 to 12% range. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you add soda water to it. So it falls below that 10% mark and, and we're in what we would call a low proof cocktail, Got it. but you're comparing that to pretty high octane stuff. Right. Okay. All right. So you're serving this can on your menu? I am. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a really good product. I had made my own version of a spritz um, that we call the Spoglio spritz, which means, a, you know, naked spritz, mm -hmm. naked, not having any alcohol. Um, and I really liked it. I thought it was really good. I tried this product and I liked it better. And I don't have a huge ego about that kind of thing. And I thought it fit with the program. Um, Plus, if you want to buy it and take it home, you can, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot of really good positives about having that product. And I think it's really tasty. Okay. And what about the ones that you're making? Like this one? Here. So I also make a drink called Office Party, mm -hmm. um, which is, I'm calling it a zero proof Negroni variation. Mm. Um, so there's lots of Negroni variations that exist in the world. For those that don't know, Negronis are equal parts uh, Campari, which is a 
another Italian bittersweet Bitter. liqueur uh, mm -hmm. that you it's I think it's twice as much alcohol as uh, Aperol though. Mm -hmm. um, so Campari, gin and sweet vermouth in equal parts. And there's tons of variations on that. So a Boulevardier is a variation on a Negroni where you sub out the gin for bourbon or rye. Uh, Old Pal takes that variation and subs out the sweet vermouth for uh, dry vermouth. So there's already, it's one of the most riffed upon cocktails that exists, mm -hmm. uh, which is to do three equal parts of switching out the different ingredients for other things. You can get the white Negroni, right? So I made the office party, uh, which is using a product uh, out of France called uh, Giffard, <laughs> or okay. Giffard, if you don't want to sound like, a, you know, yeah. you're doing a bad accent, uh, mm -hmm. Giffard uh, Peritif Syrup. Um, so they make a non-alcoholic syrup that um, tastes a lot like uh, Campari. It's got some gentian or wormwood for bittering. It's got some citrus peel, really lovely, wonderful product. Mm. I use Seedlip uh, Spice 94, the one that we talked about before. Mm -hmm. um, and then this part's really cool. We take red verjou mm -hmm. and coming back to the cola thing from before, the soda thing, we make a cola syrup uh, out of Boylan's is a New Jersey soda company, uh, legacy soda company, really, really good. Yeah. Um, I know you know them, um, but uh, so we do Boylan's cane cola. So they use cane sugar only mm -hmm. uh, and their root beer. We boil that down into a syrup and when we blend that with the red verjou, it ends up tasting like really, really good vermouth. Um, it like, cause it's bringing the same uh, acidity that, um, you know, you would expect from your vermouth cause it's, they're both great products. Sure. Um, oh, if people don't know, verjou is um, a grape juice uh, that's pressed from grapes that are underripe. Um, mm -hmm. And it's used a lot of times as a vinegar replacement in, uh, um kitchens yes. um so we blend red verjou and cola syrup uh to make vermouth and we blend those you know then with the aperitif syrup and the seed lip and we've got a negroni variation and it is shockingly good i've used the word shocking a lot because i'm kind of new to zero proof and mm -hmm. the whole time i've been doing it over the last year i've been like Wow, I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so, and so, how is, do people, when people come in mm -hmm. and look at the zero proof cocktails? I mean, obviously, there are those who don't drink. And, uh, but are there people who are like, yeah, why would I have that? And do you give them, do they have it and be like, oh, I mean, I totally get this now. I mean, is it hard to convert the uninitiated? It, so if you ever come into my restaurant, you say, what should I have? My mm -hmm. next question is always going to be, what do you like? Right. So I'm not trying really, really hard to tell people they shouldn't be drinking. Okay. Um, I do want people who don't want to drink to feel like there are thoughtful options for them mm -hmm. because there just really haven't been unless you're, you know, going to a place that specializes in it. No, I mean, actually, options. no, you're hundred percent right. I mean, it's, it's the new age of being a vegan, right? Like mm -hmm. it used to be when you went into a restaurant and said, I'm vegetarian or a vegan, they give you a plate of pasta or carrots, 
with right. no sort of uh, investment into mm-hmm. the dish. And you just mentioned oyster, oyster, which is a great example. Like people have, I mean, in the last 15 years, people have changed and, and really work hard to provide incredible plant-based options right. uh, for all diners, not just for vegetarians and um, vegans. Let's just talk a little bit before we wrap up here about non-alcoholic wines and beers. Sure. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. You said you had a great experience with non-alcoholic wines. Is it just a red wine and a white wine and maybe a rosé? I mean, are, is it still giving you the complexity? Does it come from regions? Like, am I getting an Italian non-alcoholic wine? Or so are you saying? Does the bottle just say red? Yes. Is that the question? Yes. That's so, the question. so non-alcoholic wines, the ones that we're carrying. So we currently have two wines from a legacy producer in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, called lights. Uh, They are most known, like in terms of general popularity uh, for canning a really spectacular uh, Riesling, which I know you would hate, but lots of people do like it. Lots of people. Um, So, so they, they were like really early into the, the making really, really nice wine, really, really accessible by packaging it in ways that are more accessible. so we carry from them a sparkling Riesling and a sparkling Pinot Noir Rosé. Okay. Both uh, start off as just fermented wine. They start off alcoholic. So they're technically alcohol removed. So the same way that, that we use that vacuum still mm-hmm. uh, to you know, concentrate flavors, we can also use that to boil off the alcohol because alcohol has got a much, much lower boiling point than uh, water or many of the compounds in the wine. Um, so we we drop the the atmospheric pressure super, super low and put it in a very gentle, warm bath, basically. Okay. Um, so we're, you know, you could in on your stove right now, mm-hmm. you could take a bottle of wine and cook off all the alcohol. You would just hate what was left behind right. because you applied all this heat to it and you hurt it, right? You heard all the compounds, you boiled off some of the water along with the alcohol. Um, when, you, when you're able to boil at really, really low temperatures and control exactly what temperature you want in order to get the alcohol to be the only thing to boil off, you're left behind with the, the, the bright, beautiful flavors of the wine just without the alcohol. Okay, so any wine could potentially be non-alcoholic it's just a matter of whether or not that winery or company wants to make the product available that way yeah and it's not inexpensive the process is is fairly expensive um and you know realistically requires science equipment um (laughs) so so they do the same thing for um the beers we carry two beers from athletic brewing co in connecticut Um, they do alcohol removed beers. Um, they also do gluten removed beer. Um, so all of their beers are gluten removed and alcohol removed and only 50 calories per 12 ounces. Wow. That's amazing. So when you're talking about low calorie, right. They, they remove a lot of the calories. Interesting. That's um, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, because for me, a lot with the, more for the zero-proof cocktails than for the wine or the beer, my head goes to, 
It sounds like a lot of calories, but the truth is alcohol has a lot of calories. So it's important to remember that alcohol, all alcohol right. starts off as sugar water, right? You cannot make alcohol without <laughs> a bunch of sugar. Like it's literally impossible because the yeast <laughs> eats the sugar. Right. Excellent. And on that note, why don't you tell people, please, where they can find all your beverage menus, uh, zero proof and full proof, uh, and where they can find you online and on Instagram, please. Sure. Um, so you can find any of the drinks that I make at uh, All Purpose uh, Capital Riverfront by the ballpark, mm -hmm. um, at All Purpose Shaw, uh, which is right at 9th and N is in Nikki Nellis um, mm -hmm. in Northwest. Uh, you can go to the Red Hen, that's at First and Rhode Island, and you can also, around the corner from the Red Hen, go to the Boundary Stone, because I consulted on their menu as well. Ooh, and are there zero-proof cocktails there, too? Zero-proof is, the, the program that we're doing is uh, just at the all-purposes, so um, okay. when, you, you know, you'll be able to, if you go to all-purpose, have an option of, you know, a thoughtful selection, of uh, non-alcoholic wines, non-alcoholic beers, and non-alcoholic uh, cocktails. Excellent. All right, Sammy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So that was fun talking to my son about Zero Proof Cocktails. He's a, a fountain of knowledge on all of it. I have to be honest. Uh, pride aside, I'm really, really impressed. Uh, but I do want to say that there are plenty of other area uh, bars and restaurants that are doing uh, dry January offers and zero proof cocktails. Uh, just a couple to keep you alerted on. Assembly, uh, which is a new um, property out in Virginia, they are serving uh, three uh, very unique and refreshing cocktails that are all zero proof. Uh, Dirty Habit has just launched a new menu. They're calling it a mocktail menu. Uh, Need Hospitality, which is behind a bunch of restaurants here in the DC market, they are doing zero proof brunch brunches. So that's at Gatsby and Mikasa um, and also at Succotash. Um, and Espita is actually doing a restaurant week mocktail pairing. So um, it is restaurant week right now, 17th to the 23rd. So, and lots of area restaurants are doing a wine or cocktail pairing, but Espita is actually doing a mocktail pairing or zero proof, depending on where you stand on this whole issue. So um, I want to thank you all for joining me today on Industry Night. And I certainly appreciate uh, Sam Nellis uh, for joining me and filling us in on all this zero proof information. Truth be told, I did have another guest who was joining Sam today, but unfortunately they had COVID. Uh, so we do hope that they do feel better. And I just want to put this all out there for you people. There is still tons happening in the DC metro area, COVID issues aside and snow issue aside. Um, please go to the list, are you on it.com, the online e-zine that talks about everything happening in the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene. Of course, you can follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for everything I'm eating and drinking. Uh, you want to check out Foodie and the Beast every Sunday, 11 to noon, the DC area's only food and wine variety show on 1500. Also, you can click uh, the link on the list and tune into it there. Uh, and as always, you hear me here on Industry Night every Tuesday at 7 p.m. 
on Real Fun DC. I thank you so much for joining me. Next week, I am talking with Joy Kingsley. She is the head of Kingsley Fashion Models. I know that doesn't sound like food and it isn't, but she is an amazing woman entrepreneur and we're gonna talk to her about her story. So remember, if you're not vaccinated, get so because you can't go into DC restaurants anymore unless you have proof. Uh, staffs are still short. So please be kind when you go into restaurants and retail out there. Uh, wear your mask, be safe. Hopefully we'll get through this soon and have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.